Sean Hannity Show. More behind-the-scenes information on breaking news and more bold, inspired solutions for America. Mr. President, I move to table the McConnell Amendment 2690 for the purpose of offering my own amendment number 2701. And I ask for the yeas and nays. Is there a sufficient second? Is there there a sufficient second? There does not appear to be. So a lot of people view that uh, that was a clear snub, don't you think? Well, you know, Ted has chosen to make this really personal and call people dishonest in leadership and call them names, which really goes against the decorum and also against the rules of the Senate. And as a consequence, he can't get anything done legislatively. He's he's pretty much done for and stifled. Um, and it's really because of uh, personal relationships or lack of personal relationships. And it is a problem. But uh, I approach things a little different. I'm just as hardcore in saying what we're doing is wrong. I just don't uh, choose to call people liars on the Senate floor. And uh, it's just a matter of different perspectives on how best to get at the end result. Unbelievable. As I said, Ted Cruz, what was he doing? Well, if Mitch McConnell lied, he lied. Why did Mitch McConnell lie? And why is Rand Paul attacking Ted Cruz? And why did they end up advancing and funding Planned Parenthood? Wasn't that a big promise after the, the tape started coming out? Just like the Republicans ended up funding Obamacare? Just like they ended up funding and allowing executive amnesty to go forward? Anyway, Senator Ted Cruz, 2016 presidential candidate, joins us on our Newsmaker line. You know, these are very, very trying times, Senator. You call it the Washington cartel. But time after time after time, we are promised that there's going to be a fight. And time after time, you end up standing as the lone voice and you become the pariah for, for advocating the very things that all of your colleagues have advocated for. Well, Sean, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh over and over again, coming up to an election, Republicans promise that we'll stand and fight, that we'll stand for principle, and, and the, the voters start to feel like Charlie Brown with Lucy and the football. They, they say that in September, on October, and November, but the day after the election, uh, Republican leadership tells us, nope, we can't fight on anything. We, we will surrender to Obama on every single policy. It's why people are, are frustrated out of their minds. Um, I, I think it's also why... Uh, our campaign for president is getting such incredible momentum, is, is that people are looking for a leader uh, who will do what he says he will do, who, who, who behaves the same the day after Election Day that he behaves before Election Day. And, and sadly, in Washington, there are not a whole lot of Republicans who do that. It's unbelievable. Now, let's let's go to where we are in the House of Representatives and with Speaker Boehner being gone. I'd frankly like to see new leadership in the Senate. Um, but Speaker Boehner is gone. I w- I'm looking for somebody that will use their constitutional ap- authority and the power of the purse. What do you expect if it's Kevin McCarthy? Are you friends with him? What do you expect? From what I'm hearing today, there's probably going to be a challenge to him from the from the Freedom Caucus. One of those guys, I think, is contemplating getting in. So it's not a fait accompli in any way because the Freedom Caucus would have enough votes to stop Kevin McCarthy from becoming Speaker. What are your thoughts on what you go on there? Well, I, I have long said that that. House leadership decisions are a decision for the, for the House conference to make, and so I've, I've pretty consciously avoided sticking my nose into it. Um, I, you know, I like Kevin personally, and, and, and what I've said publicly is, is that I hope whoever the next speaker is, that, that, that he or she be a strong conservative who is committed to honoring the promises we made to the voters. I think that's the most important criterion for the next speaker. I'll tell you a very strong thing the next speaker could do is tee up and vote at the outset on repealing the congressional exemption from Obamacare. That, that's something career politicians don't want to do, but that would be a strong uh, opening action for a new Republican speaker to say, we're going to listen to the men and women who elected us and not cater to the Washington cartel and not embrace a double standard for Washington politicians. 
Let me ask you, as as you go forward, what is the best path? You want to be the president of the United States. And by the way, you show up always in the top five in the polls. It's the, the year of the insurgent. You're viewed as an insurgent candidate because you challenge the status quo in Washington. If you become president of the United States, how do we turn all of this around when 60 percent of Republicans feel they're betrayed by their party? Well, that can change very, very quickly, and it can change with a strong president. It's the reason I'm running for president is, is that with our current congressional leadership, it ain't going to change from Congress. The only way to change it is with a strong executive. And, and when it comes to how you change the direction, there are really three avenues that a president can, can employ. The first is executive action. Now, President Obama, as we know, has abused his executive power over and over again. Uh, the, the one silver lining of that is everything that has been done with executive power can be undone with executive power, and that's why I pledged on my first day in office to rescind every single illegal and unconstitutional executive action, to instruct the Department of Justice to investigate Planned Parenthood, to instruct every agency of government that the persecution of religious liberty ends that day. The, the, the second avenue of change with a new president is foreign policy, and foreign policy can change very, very quickly. It's worth remembering in 1981, Iran released our hostages the day that Ronald Reagan was sworn into office. That's the difference a strong commander-in-chief can make. And then the third big change, Sean, is, is legislative. And legislative is harder. You've got to move Congress. But the last time we broke the Washington cartel was in 1980 with Ronald Reagan, where the American people rose up with the Reagan Revolution, and he used the power of the people to break the cartel. That's exactly what I intend to do, is, is to make, in particular, 2016, a referendum on, number one, repealing every word of Obamacare, and number two, adopting a simple flat tax and abolishing the IRS. And if you make it for the elected politicians in Washington that the costs of doing the wrong thing are greater than the cost of doing the right thing, that's how you change the culture in Washington. Well, I'd like to see it, and I'd like to see Republicans with a backbone. Do you have any impressions about McCarthy or the Freedom Caucus and who you might want to see as a leader in the House that, that might support your efforts and the things you're trying to do in the Senate? You know, as I said, I'm going to leave that to the Republican conference. But, but the characteristics that I would suggest should describe leadership in both the House and Senate should be a principled conservative who takes seriously honoring the promises we made to the men and women who elected us, that, that, that we need to stop uh, the, the leadership of the Surrender Caucus, stop beginning every conversation with Obama by giving it at the outset. You know, an analogy I've used, it, it's like at a football game where the two captains go out to flip the coin at the beginning of the game, and one of the coaches forfeits at the outset. If you forfeit at the beginning of every game, you know what the result's going to be. You're going to lose. That's how Republican leadership approaches dealing with Obama, they surrender at the outset. And, and, and the reason is simple, Sean. Obama knows, leadership has said there will never, ever, ever be a shutdown. They're terrified of a shutdown. Obama's a radical, and so he understands, okay, he's got a magic ticket. He just has to utter the word shutdown, and Republican leadership will surrender, run for the hills, and do whatever they want. So he says, if you don't fund Obamacare, I'll shut the government down. And Republican leadership says, great, we'll fund Obamacare. If you don't fund amnesty, I'll shut the government down. Republican leadership says, great will fund amnesty. He does that with Planned Parenthood. He does that with Iran. And the question I would pose of Republican leaders is, is there anything that we, the people, the voters who elected us care about that you are willing to fight for? And, and I've yet to see it. They'll fight for corporate welfare, but Constitution, the issues we campaigned on and got elected defending.
Let me ask you this question. We're watching Vladimir Putin. He says he's going into Syria to stop ISIS. And the first thing he does is bomb the anti-Assad rebels that our CIA has trained and even armed. Uh, he was nowhere near his initial strike the, where the ISIS population is. In my mind, he's almost starting a proxy war against the United States. And he's clearly trying to fill a void, a vacuum left open because of Obama's lack of leadership. And he wants more influence in that part of the world. If you were president, what would you be doing with Putin right now? Uh, Sean, you are exactly right. Putin is in Syria because of Obama's weakness. Uh, Putin, and for that matter, every bad actor on earth, has taken the measure of Barack Obama, and they've determined the American commander-in-chief is not a credible threat, that, that, that they view him sadly as a laughingstock, and that is dangerous for America. It's dangerous for the world when the American president is viewed as a laughingstock. You know, this administration has ideological commitments in the Middle East that don't make any sense. They're convinced there are these mythical Syrian moderates. They spent hundreds of millions of dollars training a handful uh, of fighters. The moderates don't exist. We need to live with reality. We should be doubling down on success, not failure. So, so we should be exploiting our massive air advantage to use overwhelming air power to bomb ISIS into submission, even if the Russians don't like it. And we should work with our real, not our imaginary friends. We should be arming the Kurds, who are longtime allies of America. They, they are fighting ISIS right now with outmoded weapons, and we need to be standing with our allies, not appeasing our enemies, working with the Israelis, the Jordanians, the Egyptians, who are part of this fight as well. Uh, you know, Obama and John Kerry and Hillary Clinton, they are so naive that they believe Vladimir Putin when he says that he's there to fight terrorism. Remember, the Russians are actively supporting the leading state sponsor of terrorism in the world, the nation of Iran. They are propping up Bashar Assad. And, and so the Russians will not be counterterrorism partners. And we need a president who isn't naive and who isn't walked all over on by by enemies of america you know i gotta tell you between this and the iranian deal i just I, I scratch my head and i wonder how in god's name did we get to this point where the united states of america is being humiliated on the world stage losing its influence and now as a result the world in the entire world is less safe well, part of the problem is that, that, you know, I'm reminded of what Ronald Reagan said about liberals. It, it's not what they don't know. It's that so much of what they know just isn't so. Uh, Barack Obama is a zealot and an ideologue. You know, he was four years ahead of me at Harvard Law School, and, and I have described Obama at times as the perfect Harvard Law School president because he embodies the elite, elite academic view that views America's role in the world as fundamentally illegitimate, that, that we have the leadership role we have only as a result of oppression and hegemony. And so President Obama believes the world would be better if America receded from leadership and the oppressed indigenous people of the world rose up. That's what leading from behind means. He does not believe in American leadership. And I'll tell you, Sean, when I travel abroad, when I meet with our allies, with, with presidents and heads of state and foreign ministers and defense ministers, they all say the same thing. They say over and over again in hushed tones, where is America? We can't do this without you. 
instead of a president like Barack Obama who apologizes for America, we need a president who believes in the extraordinary nation, the exceptional nation that is America, well, and understands that there's no nation on earth that has spilled more blood or fought harder for, for, for good. freedom. We're, we're out of time. Senator Ted Cruz, tedcruz.org is his website. Thank you, Senator, as always, for being with us. Quick break. Right back. We'll continue. 